Dr. Bradwell Garaganga is from the Drought Monitoring Centre in the South African Development Community. He has over 20 years of experience in climate monitoring, prediction and applications in the region. He says locally the seasons are changing. We've been looking at uh, uh, the climate uh, trends in, in terms actually of rainfall. So we're actually doing it on a, on a, I, I, I say in a, in a continuing basis, on a monitoring basis, season in, season out. So we, what we do is we, we, pro, we look at the rainfall and make projections of rainfall for the season by way of uh, forecasting. So what has actually been happening is that um, uh, most of the region has experienced uh, in the last several years, uh, I think, a diminution of, 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 of water in terms of the rivers have, have shrunk, I mean, they've gone drier most of the time. But as I said, occasionally there are these spurts of flooding that are caused in the region by tropical cyclones, etc. Now, can you categorically say that those drought situations that you've been looking at are due to climate change and climate variability? <clears throat> In fact, yes, I mean, really, by its definition, I mean, climate variability is, is going to show all the extremes in climate. Uh, that is, uh, overabundance of water one time and uh, a diminution of it on the other times. But what's been really happening now, I think, is those extremes have become uh, more amplified and more frequent. So we could attribute to some extent that to, 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 to trends in, in the climatic uh, changes that uh, are now quite topical across the whole world, world. So there is, I think, in a way, evidence of the impacts of climate change, if you, if you will, uh, in the region. But of course, even by just variation itself, it does have, uh, I mean, natural variation can also you know, show all those extremes as well. Dr. Bradwell Garaganga sees applications for his research and says conferences like this allow information to be shared. With good and reliable information, he thinks local communities will adapt to climate variability and says policy making will become better informed and more responsive as a result. Those surveys are a good starting point. We once we get the information, the knowledge base, if it improves, I think eventually it, it will filter into the policy formulations and uh, then those, when those policies are informed uh, by science, I think they are bound to then be more robust. So really this is a whole process. It may not happen overnight. Certainly there are many other challenges that uh, uh, competing for resources and attention in Africa, but I'm sure uh, over time we'll have a situation where really this meeting can be uh, a good starting point or a part of a process that will lead to appropriate policy formulations in order that people uh, will adapt better. Uh, to climatic changes. Now, you say you work in 15 different countries in Africa, but, but do you think we can have national policies, regional policies, or are the solutions particularly local? Does it depend on what local people are doing to adapt and change to climate change? Well, I think in the final analysis, the adaptation is done at local level. 
However, I think you need to have like sort of an envelope in which you are operating. So the guidelines really <coughs> could be coming from a regional uh, uh, perspective, a national perspective, just so that everybody has an understanding of what they're supposed to do, or how they fit in the scheme of things. So I think regional approach is a good starting point. But of course, that is as, as long as they eventually filter into making a difference, uh, to the person on the ground. Mr Ilari Juati is from the Ghana Meteorology Agency. He has vast experience in operational meteorology and is now director in charge of synoptic meteorology and forecasting of the Ghana Met Agency. Extreme weather is affecting the lives of people there. The variability is very, very, very serious. It's absolutely serious. If you look at the onset dates... Sometimes, maybe in one year, there will be an onset date which is two or three weeks later than the previous year. That means all the planning that the farmer has done goes to waste. Also, there are four starts of the rainfall. And when the farmer plants and there's a fall start, the farmer loses all the economic resources that he or she has because the livelihood depends on rain-fed agric. So these studies have been going on and we've been advising our farmers on these things. And you work for the Ghana uh, Meteorological Agency. Yes. It, it must be very important for your agency to study this data and, and for the farmers to know very quickly what the results are and what next year's weather may be. Yes, um, we have seasonal forecasting that we do. We normally issue it around March telling them when the rains will start, whether there will be normal rains or below normal rains, whether there are incidences of drought in certain areas so that they will be forewarned. And we also network with the Ministry of Agric where they try to get a tree, a crop species that are, uh, what do you call, uh, resistant to drought, so that short-yielding crop varieties so that in the case of a drought, at least, they can still harvest something. And, and you know, broadening the argument out now, what impact do you think climate change and climate variability is having on water resources globally? It's absolutely terrible because um, you, look, you look at uh, the climate change tells you the uncertainty in the availability of water resources in fresh water, water bodies. That means potable drinking water is diminishing. And because of land use change, all the water that comes down goes as runoff into the lakes and rivers, which are already polluted. And so the access to water is becoming much of a problem in Africa because of climate change. Mr. Juati thinks that by looking to the West's responses to climate change, new applications for the scientific data can be found and that appropriate solutions can be devised. He's an optimist. Africa lacks capacity in developing these climate models and the advanced countries like here, most of them have so much capacity. So if we collaborate, that would be very fine because we take the knowledge back and then we, it's like a learner's teaching, teaching out of learning. I mean, that sort of thing. You replicate the knowledge 
in wherever you are, and then you build capacity so that we understand climate change and disaster risk reduction. So actually people might take the knowledge back from here and find different ways to apply it in different countries. It hasn't got to be one size fits all in terms of a solution. Not at all, not at all. We, you, you apply it differently depending on where you are coming from. Do you think change is going to happen soon enough or actually is it all too late already? I think it's good that we are talking about it. If we start doing something about it, we might just be able to mitigate the changes that we are seeing. We might be able to get somewhere. So I think let's start talking about it and the ideas will flow and then we'll mitigate it. And of course, at conferences like this, you get an energy to make that difference. Absolutely. You get all the people coming on board with the same idea and rolling around the problem to see the solutions, and it's really fascinating. Dr Joel Ratsirasan is an associate professor at the Forestry Department of the School for Agricultural Sciences at the University of Antan Ararivo, Madagascar. He's also the assistant dean of the School for Agricultural Sciences at the same university. He's currently interested in the fields of forest ecology and plant-animal interactions. There is uh, a lot of uh, change happening in Madagascar, especially at the local level because of uh, the drought and the frequent uh, uh, flooding. So what happened was mainly the reduced yield and the destruction of, uh, of uh, agricultural fields and also salinization of water and the salinization of uh, soil. And there are several crop, uh, crops that could not uh, resist with all these, uh, these changes. And the local farmers have to adapt uh, their strategies uh, in front of uh, these uh, issues. Have you any good examples of local adaptation? I know that the main crop in Madagascar is rice, isn't it? Have they been adapting crops? Um, Have they been planting later or earlier? Um, How is your research assisting them? Uh, Yes, uh, there's a lot of uh, adaptation strategies that uh, the local farmers are uh, using because rice is, as you have mentioned, rice is the main food staple and it's uh, uh, planted all over uh, Madagascar. Then uh, one of the strategies that local farmers are using is not only relying on uh, rice, they use uh, uh, diversified uh, crop varieties that could provide food for uh, the local community throughout uh, the years, so including sweet potatoes or manioc or uh, uh, corns or uh, beans or uh, sorghum. And uh, this, is, this is very important. Other strategies also are uh, uh, planting some uh, uh, crops resisting to... Uh, to drought, especially the drought is the main problem in uh, most of uh, the area in Madagascar. So the sorghum is uh, introduced and uh, uh, trying to be uh, encouraged by uh, the local government to these local farmers. But it's a heartening story, isn't it? Because it is a story of why we have climate change. You have people in Madagascar, the farmers, they are adapting 
adapting. That's your message. Yes, they are trying to adapt themselves with uh, their uh, traditional uh, ways and uh, also uh, strengthened by uh, other stakeholders in the area. And this is, this is very important in order to uh, overcome this uh, challenge uh, of uh, climate change at the local scale. Dr Ratsarasan says change is already happening in Madagascar as a result of scientific research. He thinks sharing knowledge is key. We changed the planting calendar. Uh, this is not only coming from the scientist side, but most of the time we consider the local knowledge uh, or traditional knowledge they already practices and we try as a scientist try to strengthen or orient their practices based on the scientific knowledges. If we now look to the future and your local community research being here at Cambridge University today, uh, the implications of climate change and variability on African Water Resources Conference, are you an optimist or a pessimist? in terms of climate change and the future? Uh, as I have uh, mentioned, uh, it's, uh, it's really a shared responsibility for uh, all of us. If we are very committed and having the will at different level, uh, this I'm, I'm sure that we could uh, uh, combat it all, uh, all together. And uh, uh, if... Uh, if, as you mentioned, if they come here, if these local farmers shared all uh, these uh, scientific uh, results, uh, very impressive uh, uh, scientific uh, results presented here during this workshop, I'm sure that uh, they are very, very uh, uh, excited and uh, very, very happy to see what could be done next. Mrs. Elsie Awusu, OBE, is a partner in the architects Fielden and Mawson. She's passionate about developing architecture in response to environmental change and is part of a consortium working towards a carbon-neutral city in Ghana, Just Ghana Limited. She's founder member of the Society of Black Architects and is a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts. We've done recently some very interesting research on climate data and collection of climate data. Um, going right to the source of um, the, the, the process of collection to the people with um, the machines in the villages um, to see how they collect the data and the methods they use. Um, we've done some very interesting research on waste electronic and electrical equipment imported into Ghana from the UK and other places in Europe and how those are then disassembled and the environmental problems that they threaten to cause. And we're also doing um, a very important and interesting project with an organic farm in Ghana, just north of Accra. How do these projects help to give us a clearer picture of, of what's happening with uh, climate change in, in Africa, a vast continent, and, and you know, how that impacts on us through the built environment? Well, the, the purpose of Just Ghana is to concentrate on one country in a vast continent and to um, identify specific problems in Ghana and to see how those problems are replicated across the continent and how um, we might create projects which might be um, not just a Ghanaian solution but an African solution. Mrs Awusu 
says local people have a lot to teach the world as a whole and that even organic farming can trace its origins in what local people are doing at a grassroots level in Ghana. If we take forestry, for instance, there's a great deal of environmental degradation um, that is happening not because people are doing a, a, a willfully um, neglecting the environment, but just because um, the imperatives of just day-to-day living mean that people aren't focusing on preservation of the habitat. Um, when you're very poor and you're really just wanting to look after your family and keep people healthy, it's quite, it's co- quite often very easy to neglect Um, the environment as a whole and so what we're trying to do is to bring attention to the environment and how forestry for instance might affect fishing and how um, the um, farming practices might be um, making environmental degradation worse to local people um, rather than to government or to um, um, civil service. Are these initiatives about thinking globally, indeed, we're at a a global international conference today, but acting locally, thinking of the small-scale projects and at a town level that might make the difference? Yes, you're quite right. These projects are about what local people can teach um, the world as a whole. So, for instance, our our farming project, our forestry project, we're working with an extraordinary um, environmentalist called Mr Dansel, who has been um, farming organically all his life. Hasn't called it organic farming, but that's what it is, and has now been recognised internationally as a visionary person who has something to teach the world. So it's going to Mr Dancer's farm, bringing people to see him and allowing him to um, spread the message that he has through um, the resources that we can bring. Bringing attention to the problems of climate variability in Africa is key if solutions are to be found, says Ms Awusu. She's optimistic that increasing the focus on the problems of climate change will lead to better adaptations and better public policies in the long run. The interesting thing about this conference is the huge diversity of the cultures of people who are attending here. I mean, we've got scientists and technologists and um, politicians coming from all parts of the world um, to bring their attention to the emergency of climate change. And I think that's the interesting thing about it, is that climate change is viewed as an emergency, and therefore people are putting aside competitive instincts and collaborating to come up with new solutions, and they're certainly not giving up. So the different approaches don't matter. What matters is that everybody's working towards the same goal, sustainability and the planet. Yes, and, and also defining, defining sustainability because it means different things to different people. And I think the interesting thing in having all these people from different disciplines together is um, that some things happen which are completely un- unexpected and new ideas are surfacing and people are making um, fusions and... Um, hybrid um, solutions to all sorts of um, issues which were seen as problems but in effect can become opportunities. Um, Potentially climate change and the fact that people are bringing their attention to um, this issue as an emergency creates a potential opportunity for Africa as a continent Um, and I think the fact that there are so many people 
from Africa, of African descent, who are outside the continent at the moment, um, but still have links back to um, their cities and their villages, creates an opportunity for the world to learn and change, which I think is unprecedented. So what you're doing on that lake in Ghana might have ripples throughout the world eventually? Yes, not to put too fine a point on it. Um, yes, I mean, the fact that we're taking technology which has been developed in Holland, um, where um, the idea now is not to, to try and prevent water coming in, but actually to build with the notion that land will flood and accommodate flood and to make that almost... Um, an important feature of the master plan is something that we're hoping to take to Ghana and we hope might find some kind of echo in the work that's being done elsewhere in Africa. It's imperative that world leaders meeting in December in the road to Copenhagen talks find ways that will enable the developed world to join hands with the developing world in cutting global emissions and mitigating the impact of regional climate variability on water resources in Africa. Water is a basic right to life. Mrs Sherry Aiti, Honourable Minister for Environment, Science and Technology, the Government of Ghana again. The United Nations Convention you know, says that uh, everybody has a right to social benefits, economic benefits and political benefits. But then uh, when you have very few people you know, enjoying their social, political and economic rights. And then the majority of the people of the world are denied anything. Then it's an injustice. All agree time is not on our side and that actions need to be taken sooner rather than later. The urgency of adapting to the implications of regional climate variability for water resources in Africa cannot be overstated. The conference at Cambridge University put forward the pressing need for communication, adaptation and change to policy making at all levels. <laughs>